Knock, knock. Who's there? Control freak. Control freak who? Okay, now you say control freak who. Mm. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Face for Wrestling. I am your number one contender for Podcast Pretender, The Matt. Joined ever and as always by host number B. I'm Waldo, and that was an awful intro from you. Hey, you gotta keep it consistent, right? And numero trace, Dr. Brian. Evening, Doctor. Doctor. So we're here with uh, NXT Revolution. NXT Revolution is the show we're covering this week, right? NXT TakeOver. Our Revolution Revolution. Takes place on 11 December 2014, and it's a two-hour show. An easy two-hour show. Full house for attendance, and a very hot crowd for this. But before the show actually kicks off, you have some pre-show notes that we need to go over real quick, right? I do. This is the first takeover with the pre-show. It was 30 minutes long, so not bad. Uh, no matches, just hype packages for the show, pretty much. Um, we start off with our host for the panel is Renee Young, Alex Riley, and Jason Albert. So they're they're basically just hyping up the show. We get mostly all the hype packages that we'll get during the show, which we'll go over during the show. Um, but a couple of big notes from the pre-show. A weird way to set it up, Renee Young, they go from talking about the future of NXT and the title match and everything that's going to happen, and she goes, talking about the future of NXT, here's a hype package for Corey Graves. So they give you a little bit of a hype package for Corey Graves showing, you know, what he's done in the ring, what his gimmick is, and all of this. Um, and then he joins them at the announce table, and he announces his retirement due to concussions. So it was a little weird setup talking about the future, but then he retires. But then he immediately announces that he will now be an announcer for NXT starting with this pay-per-view. So I did a little bit of background research on Corey Graves. Uh, I know you like your background. Okay. He started training around the age of 14 to 16. Um, it was a weird thing. His family was way into wrestling, and um, he actually hit a funk. School wasn't really for him. Um, his parents were trying to find a way to get him out of this funk. He asked to get his nose pierced. They said no. And then his dad was like, well, what about wrestling? You love wrestling. Why don't we try to get you something to do with wrestling? Which Corey Graves immediately jumped at and was like, yeah, that would make me like the happiest kid in the world. But then his dad was like, crap, how do I make this happen? Because, you know, he's 14, 15 years old at the time. Um, send, send him to that uh, Canada league that had the kids wrestling. Right, but they live in Pennsylvania, so that's not a close option. So he goes and starts training, and he's training. It didn't. I couldn't find who his actual trainers were, but it was in an abandoned mall in Pittsburgh in the middle of winter with no heater. Have you ever been to Pittsburgh? I have. There are it's a lot of abandoned pleasant. malls up there. There is, and it's not pleasant in the winter, so good on him. I think it was around 17 is when he had his first match, and he wrestled in a barn, as one does. He took the name Sterling James Keenan, a hybrid of his favorite football player, Sterling Sharp, who was a phenomenal football player. I think you'll remember him. Mm -hmm. And uh, Maynard James Keenan, the lead singer of Tool. So even starting off, he kind of had that whole metal-y gimmick and everything, so pretty good. He just basically did... If there was an indie promotion, he wrestled for him, but not like the big indie promotions. The biggest indie promotion I could find that he worked for was the Funkin' the Funkin' Conservatory. That's out in uh, North Texas, right? 
I, I'm not sure where it's at. Uh, I just know we all, of course, know Terry Funk, Dory Funk, all of them. Um, but that was the biggest thing I could see that he worked for. He actually started doing some jobber work for WWE on their main roster. But by this time, he had pretty much decided he was going to retire. His younger brother had been signed by WWE and released. He was just never getting anywhere on WWE's radar. He was planning on retiring and pretty much considered himself out of the business when his wife convinced him to take Jobber's role with WWE. So he called him up. She went out to Target and bought him the best clothes that she could afford at the time because they they just weren't really making anything because like, he was that Jobber that was happy to make $50 a night, you know? And he actually got a call back from going to do a, a jobber match for the, the Fed, and they sent him to FCW, where he worked with as sort of a jobber to the stars type thing. He had feuds with The Shield, The Wyatt Family, Neville. He worked all the big names that would then get called up and be that big class of people that came out of FCW before they swapped over to NXT. He didn't get to do a lot in NXT. That's when the concussions started happening. And in April of this year, you know, he was going to do the whole WrestleMania festivities and everything. He had just had another concussion. He was pretty much finding out that he wasn't going to be able to come back. But he happened to go out drinking with Michael Cole and mentioned that in his, you know, younger years, he had worked at a radio station. So when they found out that the concussions were serious, their, their doctors were like, you need to retire. You don't need to do this anymore. Michael Cole started working hard backstage to get him brought in as an announcer. So they had him come in, do all the announcement trainings down in NXT. And he did this show. Everyone it looked like as soon as the show was over, Triple H offered him a two-year announcement contract just off of the, the talent he showed during the show. Perseverance, man. You got to keep at something if you really want to do it. Yeah. And the crazy part is... Last year, so 2018 time frame, when Daniel Bryan had his whole miraculous recovery from concussion syndrome and everything, he was asked by even people, the officials in the Fed, hey man, is this something you want to try? It worked for him. It might work for you. You might could wrestle again. And he, his response is pretty much, you know, I don't believe in fate, but everything is kind of happening the way it should be. I think I'm where I'm supposed to be now. So he has gone 100% into the announcer's role. The Fed is better off for it. I'll just put it that way for right now. Would he have made a better wrestler than an announcer? Who knows? Hard to say. Hard but to say. he is becoming the new age Jim Ross for NXT. See, I wouldn't even necessarily go Jim Ross. I would go more of uh, a Lawler. A Lawler with more technical knowledge. Yes. Or possibly a Joey Styles type person. There you go. That, that makes better comparison for him. Yeah. After that happens, we go to Kevin Owens' hype package, who's going to be making his debut here tonight. Good put-together package. It's basically, it goes a little bit over him, which we'll go more into detail when we get to his match. But it's, hey, I've been wrestling for 14 years. I've watched all my friends make it to the big leagues. It's finally my turn, and I don't care about those friendships anymore. I'm just here to make money and provide for my family. So it's this kind of... What do you call Mer Not mercenary, but kind of prize fighter gimmick of, I'm just here to knock you out and get paid. But a really good package put together. Uh, I wish I could find it. There was an old Steve Austin promo back in the day when, during the 97, 98 time frame where he said he wasn't being paid by the hour. And the weird thing about it is, and this is as you know a much better podcaster than me would point out, some rumors and innuendo 
is that this gimmick that he kind of has going on was originally meant for Cassius Ono, who had just been released or left or whatever. But so they had all these KO t-shirts still. So Kevin Owens, guess what you're doing now? I don't know how true that is, but I know I've heard that in a couple different places. Take that for what you will. But it does fit him. It does fit this person who's into this gimmick. Um, we get some more packages that we'll see throughout the show, followed by uh, a Vaude Villains promo and hype package that we don't de- get during the show. And it's basically, it just gives you an introduction to the Vaude Villains. They're these 1920s strongmen vaudeville characters. Pretty much they go over the fact that they've beaten all the teams in NXT. The only team that's ever beaten them is the Luch Dragons, and we're here to take them now. And it shows that over the past couple weeks on the NXT television show, apparently instead of, you know, showing up and doing interviews and hype and we're going to talk smack about the Lucha Dragons, they've been putting forth these silent films where they fight little midgets dressed as the Lucha Dragons. They're really funny. If you can find a copy of those, definitely worth checking out. Do you remember, uh, this is New Generation era, when Sid first showed up? I would say yes, but you would probably tell me I'm wrong because you're probably about to give me some information I don't remember. Well, right before Sid showed up, his manager was Dr. Harvey Whippleman at the time. I do remember Dr. Harvey Whippleman. Before Whippleman managed Sid, he managed a guy named Big Bully Busick, who was a carny street thug, time, almost kind of like the villains. I remember that character, yes. He should have been their manager. Agreed. I, I don't. Well, I don't know that they need a manager, but if they did need a manager, I'll give you that. Uh, the next thing I found weird was they do a little cut over to Rick Brennan, who will be joining the announce team tonight as well, and they refer to him as the voice of NXT. So it really looks like they're going to be putting some eggs in this guy's basket. Um, don't know a lot about him since it's his first night. You chose poorly. <laughs> uh, he does an interview with the Lucha Dragons, who say a lot but don't actually say anything before leading the crowd that's there at the time in a Lucha chant. We then shoot over to Alex Riley, who's another one joining the announce team tonight, and he interviews Sasha about how she's considered an underdog for tonight's title match. She goes on a great promo of, who's saying this? Are you saying this? Are stupid people like Charlotte saying this? She goes into, keeps the whole boss character going, uh, at which time Bailey shows up and tells Sasha, you're not going to be able to beat Charlotte. Charlotte's way better than you. You're terrible. And then Sasha goes, oh yeah, well... You know what? This is going to happen. And then Becky Lynch attacks Bailey and takes her out. And that's the end of the pre-show. When it cuts into the main show, it goes straight to a Kevin Steen promo package, packaging him up as Kevin Owens this time. Yeah, it was, but it wasn't the full package of Kevin, just Kevin Owens. There was the whole R Evolution package. So you had the start off with Kevin Steen, which I had to point out there was a sign in the background. He was in a performance center ring, and the sign on the background said, you're not here to fill a spot, you're here to take a spot. And that's awesome motivation to have in your gym. I, I love that sign. But then it also, like, it, it segues off of the Kevin Owens into the Charlotte, into the Sasha, into the Sami Zayn. And it's just, it becomes a whole hype package for the whole R Evolution. We leave the promo package and we go straight to the announcers hype on the show. And as you said, our announcers tonight are Rich Brenham, Alex Riley, and Corey Graves. The crowd is hot tonight. They are on fire. We do have another full house. I'd say about 400-ish, roughly. I don't see any empty seats the entire show this time. I don't either. Everything's packed. Everybody's super hype. As good as all the crowds have been up to this point, this might be the best crowd so far. JoJo is in the ring, and Kevin Owens comes out. The crowd goes crazy. Matt, can you tell us a little bit more about Kevin Owens? 
I can. And I want to preface this by saying I tried my damnedest to tell a Kevin Owens backstory without mentioning El Generico, but it is impossible. It literally is impossible unless you just want me to say he was trained, he wrestled indies, now he's here. I'm assuming you don't want me to say that. Tell us how he saved El Generico at the orphanage. All right, so Kevin Owens started training at wrestling at the age of 14. His parents actually allowed him to start training with Sergei Jodoin. I'm assuming is how you pronounce that. I could be wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, Jacques, Jacques Rougeau. And Terry Taylor. Whom he called his main trainer, the Red Rooster himself. Uh, he had his very first match on his 16th first birthday. The owner of his little training company, he wrestled around his company for the next couple years. And this is the only time spent away from El Generico because when he was 20, he signed with IWS and his first match, you guessed it, El Generico. He would then go on to wrestle in IWS, CZW, Jesus! and PWG in all of these companies, feuding with some combination of El Generico at some point. In 2006, a little change of pace, he started a team with Generico. Before 2007, where he would go on to Ring of Honor, he had to actually choose between Ring of Honor or PWG because Ring of Honor wouldn't let him do both. But he chose Ring of Honor because they had the bigger exposure at the time, and it was more professionally done. So he chose to go to Ring of Honor, and Generico came with him. In 2000, and, and he wrestled as a tag team mainly during those time frames, until 2009, where he started a feud with Generico that was considered the feud of the year. And predominantly, the whole angle was written by Kevin Steen. In 2009 to 2010, 10 time frame, Jim Cornette came into Ring of Honor and had a huge presence backstage. Uh, I think you remember that time. You might can give a little more information on what Jim Cornette was doing backstage at Ring of Honor. Telling Kevin Owens to lose weight and not be fat. That was pretty much it. Uh, he sent Kevin home, Kevin home to lose some weight at the end of the Kevin Steen and Generico angle, which had to be changed because Cornette was just freezing him out every chance he got, according to Owens. So he had to change it to the end of the feud being a loser leaves Ring of Honor match, which Steen left. He then went home for a couple of months lost 40 pounds good on him was set to start getting ready to come back but ring of honor was bought out by sinclair broadcasting i think is what it's called at this time Cornette told him hey we just got on tv wait six more months that way we can kind of explain the backstory and get you more prime to come in now that we're on tv this didn't sit well with steam he was getting paid the whole time he was gone but this didn't sit well with him and he ended up gaining all the way back so as soon as he came back uh, of course, Jim Cornette is immediately pissed because we sent you home to lose weight and you're fatter now than you are when you left. I see both arguments to this, both sides of this argument. Kevin Steen saying, I, I shouldn't have to lose weight. I'm still better than 95% of the wrestlers on the roster. Jim Cornette saying, yeah, but you look like shit. I, I can see both sides of the argument. And it was such a well-known argument that it became part of the feud when he did finally come back. And Steen was written to be the hill, but the fans were on his side and booed Cornette, who was the face in the situation. And even still to this day, every time Kevin Owens does something good, the fans bombard Jim Cornette with tweets of, see, we told you so, we told you so, he's awesome. 
I, I got to stick by Cornette a little bit because he sticks up for the fact that I never said he was bad. I just said he looked like shit and he wrestles in t-shirts. Those are some very loyal fans to Jim Cornette, and I'm not arguing that point. It's just that in a situation like this, you have to take it with a grain of salt comparatively to what else those very same fans will bombard Jim Cornette about. Right. Yeah, people want to hit on Jim Cornette just to hate on him. I, I have our first discussion question tonight, just a quick one. What is your opinion on wrestlers who have to wrestle in t-shirts? I would have to say that it's a pass if they're way later in their career. There are some good exceptions, like Road Dog during his entire run. Right. Uh, Kevin Owens, it kind of works for his character. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, it almost takes away from the match for me because sometimes those t-shirts are a little bit too loose. They take up too much of the screen, if that makes any kind of sense. I kind of get what you're saying. Uh, my My take on it is... I think some wrestlers pull it off. My favorite wrestler of all time, Raven, he wrestled in band t-shirts and comic book t-shirts, so it fit the gimmick. Alexa Bliss, nowadays, she tends to wrestle in t-shirts, but they're cut down to kind of match whatever her top is. So it's not just a t-shirt, it's her merch, and it's cut down to look kind of stylish. I think when you do something like that, or what you're talking about with Rodog, he always had the sleeves cut off, it fit the character. I think it works. Right. You run the risk of wearing a t-shirt and covering up the fact that you're fat and out of shape versus it matching your character and having a bad perception because of that. Right. I remember Ric Flair saying one of the biggest regrets of his career was that he was so out of shape that on the last Nitro, he had to wrestle Sting in a t-shirt. And the sad thing was for that match, he wasn't really that much out of shape. No, but I mean, just... Somebody like that saying something like that, that it really stuck with me. And I think that might be where my opinions on wrestlers who wrestle in t-shirts comes from. Because I had never really thought about it before that, before Ric Flair said that. I saw that match live. I didn't hate it because I loved the fact that they were having so much fun in the ring. But to hear him then say that, it, it just put that thought in my mind, you know? Well, another mentality is, is that it takes away from the legitimacy of the match. Because in a actual sport sporting contest of professional wrestling, let's say like Greco-Roman Olympic-style wrestling, you're not going to go in there with a t-shirt. Well, even any any sporting event, you have some form of uniform. And a t-shirt, I can see where you would take it would take away a little bit and look unprofessional. Like I said, I think it just depends on your character mostly. Because there's some fat wrestlers that never wore t-shirts. Yokozuna never wore a t-shirt. Just because you're fat doesn't mean you have to wear a t-shirt. Is it because they couldn't find one big enough? That's possible. So... <laughs> Sorry about that, on that little tangent there. He then continued his feud with Generico and backstage a bit with Cornette until 2010, at which point he decided to leave to go back to PWG. His friend owned the company, and he just kind of wanted to do something different. He wanted to work as a face for a bit. That brings us to now, when he signed with the WWE, and the crowd's been waiting for him since August. I'm going to assume that the Fed does not have a kosher relationship with PWG because as Kevin Owens is making his way out to the ring, the camera's panning around and runs across a kid in the front row with a PWG shirt on, and they promptly cut to another camera. I've never heard of a working relationship with them, but they have... I I wonder if that's because, like, at this time frame, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, Neville, I think, even... A lot of these people that are the kind of the stars of NXT at the moment were kind of sniped from PWG. So I wonder if that maybe pissed off PWG, who then pissed off the Fed. I don't know 100% on that one. As Kevin Owens is making his way to the ring, though, we cut to the announcer's booth, which is set up like a very early WCW Nitro show. It looked nice. 
I'm okay I, with the booth being in the back with the ring behind them versus the announcers being right next to the ring like in the Attitude Era for the Fed. Uh, it adds that bit of kind of realism to it because your announcers don't necessarily want to be right there and run the risk of getting tied up in the match itself. I think there's been some good moments because of the announcers being ringside, but I can't disagree with the legitimacy of having the booth be somewhere else. It does add a more legitimate feel. So if you're not running an angle that the announcers are part of, I, I have no problem with it being back towards the ramp. The production for this show overall looks way better, but we're now afflicted with the LED curtain on the ring itself. I know you're not a fan of those. Uh, I kind of dig them. Uh, I, don't I think, think they add a nice look, but I can see where it would be a hindrance. I don't think we, it lasts very long in NXT. I think it's more of a hit and miss, depending on the venue slash event. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm okay, especially in a big... Anything you have to do to do your big shows to make them look different from your regular shows, I'm okay with. You shouldn't have them on every NXT show, but having them at a takeover, to me, that's okay. Tanref is in the ring to start us off, and he's been hitting that tanning bed since the last show, man. He's also been hitting the gym since the last show, too. Yeah, he is. He is... He looks in better shape than Kevin Owens, and I'm not going to dig on Kevin Owens for being fat, because I do. I'm one of the people that respect his talent over the fact that he has to look good, but yeah, the ref shouldn't look more buff than a wrestler. The ref is not supposed to take away from the match. It's supposed to add to the storyline that's going on in the ring and everything like that, but God, Tan Ref just, he demands your attention. He does. He is an eye drawer. He's right up there with a... Uh race car ref and old refs i agree 100 percent. possibly even red shoes from new japan i've forgotten all about him <laughs> as soon as kevin owens is in the ring yeah yeah hippies all around me hippies hippies they're everywhere they want to save the earth but all they do is smoke pot and smell bad Help. damn dirty hippie comes out to booze thinking he's some sort of sign guy dudley I like the sign in this case, actually. It's a dig at Owens. His sign says, My Fight Matters, which is a dig at the whole, you're fighting for money, I'm fighting for the planet. Whoever came up with the idea for the sign, good on you. But maybe, yeah, have somebody carry the sign for him. I, I don't know. Did you see what was on the back of his sign? I couldn't make it out. I kept trying. It's his social media handles. Less a fan of the sign, but I guess that does make him more of a modern activist. The bell rings while the hippie tries to work the crowd, and Owen <laughs> goes straight to business. Straight into a cannonball. Owen hits Parker into the corner and goes immediately for the cannonball with the crowd absolutely ready for it. It was great. Great move. Parker rolls outside, and Owens goes to grab Parker's sign and tears it up. As he gets ready to kick a piece of it off out of the ring, Tanref, quick as a whippet, starts clearing the ring, and Owens wasn't tracking. So as he goes to kick that piece of the sign, Tanref had already moved it, so Owens is kicking at air. Makes him look like a little bit of an idiot. <laughs> I must have missed that part. That's funny, though. Owens then flies to the outside, landing the cannonball on Parker at the edge of the ramp to holy shit chance. Yeah, I have over-the-top rope with abandon. Like, he just let himself fly and hoped that Parker would catch him, who kind of caught him. But that's a lot of weight to be dropping down. As Owen jawjacks with the camera, he tries to put Parker back into the ring, but Parker breaks away and goes into the ring himself. A couple of reversals in the corner, and Owens hits a couple of chops. Tenref gets in to pull Owens out of the corner, and it looks like he legit did it, too. Yeah, I thought this was a good spot um, to give Parker a little bit of offense. You have the ref break Owens out of the corner. So it's not that Parker's beating Owens, it's that he was able to capitalize on the fact that the ref pulled Owens back. It was a nice spot. 
I thought it was a quick spot to get in the gun show from the tan ref, though. That's also possible. While Owens is semi-distracted, Parker comes out of the corner to hit a decent roundhouse. Parker gets some offense in the middle of the ring until tan ref breaks it up. But why did he break it up? He wasn't breaking the rules or anything. Parker's just going to town on Owens with the boots and whatnot, and Tanriff just walks in and breaks it up. Like, no, that's enough of that. I got nothing. More back and forth until Parker open palms. Uh, they call it a palm strike on the announce team, but it's basically a high five to Owens' face, and it only gets a two count. He this tried to where, kill Owens. Yeah, this is that slap that you heard during the show of that palm strike. That yeah. seemed legit because later in the show, you see exactly where it cut across the bridge of his nose yeah. and busted open. Well, apparently that strike has a name. It's called the third eye. It is exactly what they tell you not to do as a kid, where you're trying to just basically jam your hand into your opponent's nose and jab it into their brain. It looks terrible. As Owen's getting up from the two count, you can definitely see now that it's a little bit of nastiness. And I'm sure it looked worse than what it was, but it did bring the crowd to fight Owen's fight chance. Yeah, it's it's a legit broken nose at this point. Uh, I did check that out. He did legit break his nose with the strike. A happy accident though, because oh my god, a prize fighter bleeding in his debut match. How awesome does Owen's look at this point? I also want to point out, it did not take long for the crowd to forget Kevin Steen and replace it with Kevin Owens. No, yeah, they, they were on Kevin Owens pretty much dead dead away. Parker hits double knees in the corner, but Owens launches with a lariat. That was a pretty stiff lariat, too. It's a nice lariat. Turn him inside out. We get a hard camera shot of Owens in his bloody nose. Owens hits a modified pump handle slam. I have no idea what you call that, but it looked like it hurt. And Parker starts trying to hump the mat? Yeah, he was just straight up humping the ground. Owens with a pop-up powerbomb and the three in 314. Short match. Not a lot of offense from Parker, and the offense that he did get was because of the ref. It's exactly what Owens needed in his debut match. The crowd ate it up, and like I said, he looked great winning bloody. You couldn't have asked for better. That is true, and I'm not going to take away from the fact that this worked out perfectly for Owens, but why wasn't this just a flat-out squash match? I, I don't know. That's a good question. I guess because maybe later we'll, we'll have some squash matches that have been drawn out over stories. So you let this one go a little bit longer so you're not taken away from those matches, maybe. Maybe good overall booking. As Owens is celebrating in the ring, I have a note here that says uh, the signs are gone from the last show that we reviewed. Mm-hmm. You'll see a couple pop up here and there throughout the show, but I think the Fed's done with those signs. I don't, I don't know. I think, because I noticed that on the hard camera anyways, there was a huge section of fans wearing Wrestling Central t-shirts. I have that exact note here, and I have no idea what that's for. I looked it up. It appears to be a website that sells amateur wrestling gear. So I'm wondering if maybe they sponsor a team or something, and that team is here watching. That's all I could maybe figure out. Uh, but I'm thinking maybe since they had a, a group of people that were there from some outside reason, that maybe that's why there's not a lot of signs. A challenge to our fans, though, is this the same group of people wearing that T-shirt that normally would wear the Pray for Mojo family shirts? <laughs> no, this was a group of teenage dudes, mostly. Not old women and children. <laughs> We cut to the announce booth, and Graves has given us some more detailed explanation on why he's there and how he will be there continuously for NXT announcing. He sounds like he's been doing it forever. He doesn't seem scared like Renee did on the last show. He seems comfortable. We have Neville backstage and a picture-in-picture of the interview with Cole. Yeah, the interview pretty much just goes over what will be the setup for the match of 
hey, this is Sammy's fault. He decided to put his career on the line. You can't blame me. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to put him out, but it's not my fault. I told him not to do it. Good little promo package. I think you mean to say that he his exact words were, man, I told him not to do it, but uh, to tell you, he just wouldn't want to go and challenge me. And... <laughs> no, what he said was, Sammy screwed Sammy. <laughs> Canadian and all. They never what? learned. One day, we will have fans from England, and I need to know, do people from Newcastle really talk like this? Is, is Neville just a fluke? They're all disappointed in the fact that he's the one representing them? Go ahead. It's like that guy from the South that makes it on the news to talk about the Nader destroying his house. <laughs> if we don't really get a fan base, don't worry. I'll be there in a couple of months anyway. you got to find this out. We then go to a Lucha Dragons package. Yeah, uh, much like the Lucha Dragons, it's pretty... Again, I'm I'm not I'm really not dissing on the Lucha Dragons when I say this, but it's just hey, these are some faces they like to be entertaining. It doesn't really do anything for me, but I'm not a seven year old kid, so I can't really speak on the target audience. So JoJo's in the ring and she announces us into the tag match, which again I really appreciate this. Yeah, I, I'm a fan. What I'm not a fan of is having the champs come out first. Me neither. I have two questions about this intro. Okay. One, did Sin Cara have this tattoo before, or did he go get it so that they couldn't replace him like they did with the last Sin Cara? He had parts of it before, but it has grown since the last show. It's huge, right? Yeah. Do you think it was, I don't want them to replace me, I'll get a tattoo so they can't? You know what else is huge in this match? Sin Cara. Because he looks like he got hit with a bicycle pump. He is huge. I, I also say, I also have that it shows them hit the trampoline that they use to jump over the top rope. I, it took away from the entrance a little bit. Yes, I know there's a trampoline down there, but don't show me how the magic trick's done. You know what I mean? I want to suspend my disbelief. Yeah, this was... There are a couple little quirks with the production tonight. It looks better in that high definition. Uh, the camera work seems to be more solid than the last couple of shows we've seen. There's just little weird stuff like l what, seeing the trampoline and not cutting away too quickly. Yeah. We get a few shots tonight of Kevin Dunn's favorite uh, zoom in and out really quick on punches and yeah. kicks, yeah. and I could do without those. Agreed. Yeah, I have a specific note in here that says, did Bocce gain some weight since we last saw him? Because, yeah, he looks... He does look massive. I and do have a note, though. I really like the matching outfits with Sin Cara and Callisto. They, have, they both have gold outfits on with their own little flair, but they match. I like it. I know it's a little thing. Tag team wrestlers should look like their partners. Kudos to them. So the Vaudevillains come out and they have an awesome intro that looks like they... So good. It looks like that it's a time machine dropping them off. So good. I, I don't know who the dude on the megaphone is that starts it, but it's so good. Matt, who are the Vaudevillains? The Vaudevillains are Aiden English and Simon Gotch. A little bit of background on Aiden English. I didn't know this about him, but I'm not surprised to, to find it out, if that makes sense. He started early in his younger life having a focus on acting. Like, he loved acting. And he actually went to Columbia College of Chicago for acting with a focus on stage combat, where he graduated in 2010 with his Bachelor of Arts. He then decided to go into wrestling, and he wrestled on the indies as Matt Marquis, which is another great, phenomenal wrestling name for a guy who likes acting. Uh, he did that for two years, didn't really do a whole lot, just hit up the indies before being signed to FCW. And from 2012 to 2013, he was pretty much, 
he literally was just a jobber. He never won a match. But he was losing matches to people like Bray Wyatt, Roman Reigns, under his name at the time, which was like Lee Kay or something like that. Uh, he was losing to the people that, again, would go on to become big stars. In September of 2013, a week after winning his first match, he started singing his way down to the ring. You know that old song, I am the very model of a very modern... You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. He, he sang a ripoff of that. And, like, the fans just ate it up. So after that, he just started singing his way to the ring in every match, singing during his matches, and singing his way out of the matches. Um, and he kind of did that around until June of this year when he was teamed up with Simon Gotch to form the Villains. Simon Gotch wrestled on the Indies from 2002 to 2013. He's a little bit of a veteran. Under the name Ryan Drago, another really good name. He had the same gimmick on the indies that he does now. It's this 1920s strongman. He didn't really do anything of note on the indies until he was signed by NXT and given the name Simon Gotch, teamed up to form the Villains in June. And in June, if you remember from last episode, we talked about they had the tag team tournament. That's where they kind of got their start, and they lost in the finals to the Lucha Dragons. On October 30th, they won a tag team battle royal to become the number one contenders. And that's where the whole, hey, we've beaten everybody except for the Luja Dragons. But now we have our, our title match and we're going to beat them. And they did, like I said, some really cool silent films as their promo packages leading into this match. And that's how we get here. Uh, it was such a great intro and they look great and it's in black and white. But I think the best part about it is they both walk out and the music's all happy and chipper in 1920s. And then they, they shake each other's hand and give this villainous look and the music turned ominous. And it was just, everything was so well put together. It was really good. So the bell rings and we kick off with Bachi and Gotch in the middle starting off with some reversals and Bachi barely hitting a second rope moonsault for an early two. Yep. English comes in, him and Gotch try something, but Bachi counters and dumps English outside. Yeah, I didn't really understand this spot. There was no real reason for English to come in. It was like he only came in so that Kara could hit the double team move. It was weird. Callisto gets tagged in and they hit a decent wheelbarrow senton on Gotch. Was really good looking. I'm guessing that this isn't Gotcha's style since the Lucha Dragons are sticking to basic stuff with him in the ring. I could see but, that. But it's a good change up for them as well, too, because before this, we've only seen the Lucha Dragons do flippy dippy. Yeah. And I think being in a match with the VOD villains is forcing them to change up their repertoire to be more of a mat based technician in this case right here. Well, and I can say this now it, they had a good chemistry together, both teams worked well together. They, they both did. I'm... seem like tag teams who focus on the fact that they're tag teams as opposed to just being four people thrown together. So it, it meshed real well. It did. And I'm not trying to say that the match was bad or anything like that. I just mean that it's nice to be able to see a team like the Lucha Dragons come in and not do the same style every time. Right. It, shows that... That it shows that they have variants. Yeah, and that's what I was trying to get into it, is it shows that the fact that they're able to do that and that they have different teams like this it gives me hope for the NXT tag division. Funny you should mention that, based on what happens later. Fair enough. As Callisto has Gotch in a reverse Nelson, Gotch was able to get the tag to English. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty cool because he's in the reverse Nelson and he just kind of drags Callisto over and slaps his, uh, Aiden English's hand for the tag in. Yeah, it was a really good spot. English drags Callisto out of the ring to a thud. And the crowd starts chanting, that was dandy. There's a that was dandy's chant followed by a put-your-dukes-up chant. Ooh, the biggest insults. 
I, I'm a fan. I am digging everything about this so far. Graves is great at explaining the psychology in this match. Gotch is tagged in and goes for a Matt Rowling crucifix pin. That's a good name for it. <laughs> That's what I'm sticking with on this. <laughs> English tries to roll up Callisto, but they're close to the ropes and Callisto dumps outside. No, I think what was going on in that, because I actually have that spot. So Callisto was going for the tag. And English purposely did that roll-up and dumped him to the outside. Like, it was a smart way to break up the pin, and again, something I hadn't seen before, and actually gets an Aiden English champ. Speaking of chants, it's at this point in the night where the fans are just trying to start chants that go nowhere, mm-hmm. just to get themselves over. I didn't see it as much. Like, I know that a lot of these chants, because I have a note here that I'm a little bit confused on. The Lucha Dragons are breaking up pins. They're entering the ring to to double team moves, and the crowd is all on the Vaudevillain's side. I'm confused on who's the face in the hill at this point. I have that exact note later on in this match. Yeah, it was weird to me. It might be explained if you're saying that maybe the crowd was chanting whatever they wanted to get themselves over. Maybe the wrestlers swapped up their wrestling style. We go back to some mat wrestling in the ring, and we have a awesome Corey Graves soundbite here. It's only cheating when you get caught. All right. right. Well said, Governor. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Bocce jumps out of the corner, flying over English in what looks like a roll-up, but rolls through it to tag in Callisto finally. This is a nice move. Callisto flies in for a crossbody on English and runs to Roundhouse. Uh, Gotch out of the ring. Callisto back over and hits a corkscrew on English, runs and backflips off to hit an enziguri. I have this, the springboard flip kick. When they showed it again in slow motion, because I hadn't realized it when he first did it, he never put his hands on the mat. So he does the flip into the ropes, trusting that it'll push him back far enough to hit this kick. It is amazing. Probably the move of the night, but it happened so quickly that you don't even really notice how awesome it was. As Bocce is going up top, uh, Gotch gets in, and Bocce hits Gotch with a crossbody, followed with I, a drop kick to English. I had a question on this. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a wrestler that used a crossbody for a win? Ricky the Dragon Steamboat when he came back on his second run in the Fed. His finishing move was the crossbody? Yeah, because Vince was already mad at him for leaving okay. to take time off for his kid. Yeah, I was just really curious about this because there's always a pin attempt after a crossbody, which makes sense. You're putting yourself in a pinning position. But I was just curious if anybody had ever actually won off of this move because a lot of people do it. It's simple. I don't blame them, but it's just a weird move to do for a pin. Callisto goes for a roll-up and turns it into a roll-through kick. Yeah, it was beautiful. Bocce and Callisto dump English over the top onto Gotch. The Lucha Dragons fly over the over the top to the outside onto English as Gotch runs out of the way. No, Gotch didn't run out of the way. They went for the stereo dives, and English actually pushed Gotch out of the way. It's why the crowd started chanting chivalry, chivalry. Oh, Cause, okay. Cause, yeah, because English saved Gotch in this moment. Because I saw the replay, and it didn't show it too well. Yeah, no, Gotch actually, it was good teamwork again. He was trying to save Gotch so that they still had a chance in the match. Again, are these guys supposed to be bad guys? I don't understand what's going on. Gotch runs over and puts Callisto back in the ring, but Callisto grabs Gotch like he's about to hit a stunner, but flips over Gotch to hit the Selena Del Sol for the three in six minutes and 40 seconds. Such a good finisher, and I have a question about this as well. Okay. In In the hype package for the Lucha Dragons, it pretty much showed every finish to their matches is this Selena Del Sol. Is this just a way to try to get Callisto over? Because he win- apparently wins all of their matches with this move, and it's a beautiful move, and it is definitely a move people shouldn't kick out of. So I'm not complaining, but if you're trying to get him over, is a tag team the best way to go? 
I think so. It's because his English skills are still improving. You have somebody with him that can kind of work reliably, that can fill in the blanks whenever he he draws a blank space. I get that. So we're kind of building him up as a competitor, but we have a kickstand on him just in case. I got that. And then I have a note that the crowd seems happy with the Lucha Dragons winning, but you could tell they wanted the VOD villains to win a little bit more. So nobody's disappointed, but they're not as happy as they could have been, which is kind of how I felt about this match. It was a good serviceable match showing that the Lucha Dragons can work a completely different style if they have to. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I I did notice a lot of the kids in the crowd were super happy that the Lucha Dragons won. So it's doing what it's supposed to be doing. It's selling merch to kids. It's not a bad match. Uh, the only little thing that I have wrong with this match is the fact that Sinkara just looks so gassed when he comes out, and it will remain gassed for the entire match. Yeah, that, and that's kind of what I was going with with the tag partner. Maybe they should have gave him somebody a little better. Sinkara's doing the job for now. No complaints. Yeah, but he just, something just looked off about him. He looked He looked bloated, slow, and something not quite right. Yeah, maybe that's why he's in it, though. You see him, and then you see Callisto, and you're like, wow, this guy's even much better because of it. We cut backstage to Sasha and Becky. I, I like this spot. Like, I didn't know a lot about the Becky thing. Uh, we'll get into it when I get into my research on her. Um, but I like a wrestler that has, like, a bossy gimmick. Having another wrestler is kind of an assistant helping her get ready and everything. Followed by a decent NXT promo package. It was really good. A high package for the TV show. Um, I, I was a fan. It would have made me watch the show. Ty Dillinger comes out and the crowd goes mild. He is the whitest baby face wrestler I think I've ever seen in my life. If you opened up a 2K game, he would be the guy that you started off to create your wrestler. He just looks bad. Um, but I do have a little bit of notes on him, not a whole lot, and it made me feel a little bit worse for Todd Dillinger. Go ahead. Uh, he was trained at the Hart Wrestling School, which sounds good, right? Mm-hmm. Until you find out he was trained by Smith Hart. Aw. Ike Shaw and Waldo Von Erich. I'm okay so, with that. So he's trained by a Hart and a Von Erich, but not the good ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In 2002, he started wrestling as Sean Spears. He did a whole lot of nothing until 2006, just indies pretty much. But, I mean, a lot of indies. He worked pretty much anywhere that would hire him. In 2006, he was signed to OVW, which was WWE's training facility at the time. And he did a whole lot of nothing until 2008, when he was brought up to the ECW Revival. I did not know this about him. He was part of the Superstar Initiative, and he wrestled as Gavin Spears in ECW for a year until he was released in 2009 after losing a match to your favorite wrestler, Funley. 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 Uh, Released from WWE in 2009, went back to the Indies, did a whole lot of nothing until 2013 when he was brought back into the developmental program of WWE And he was sent to FCW, but it quickly became NXT after that. And at this point, he's just been teaming off and on with Jason Jordan, doing a whole lot of nothing. And now he's going to fight Baron Corbin for that reason. Well, when Corbin comes out, it revives the crowd. I don't know how, but it does. I like the fact that he's evolved from the jobber entrance and actually gets a pretty cool little entrance. You get the revving motorcycles, the bright lights. Like, it, it fits him, but he looks scared. 
There's so much going on in his entrance music, though. I can't quite figure out what his gimmick is. I can agree with that. However, Corey Graves does a great job of putting him over while he's coming out to the ring. So we get ready to start the match, and the announcers ask, is your watch working? And I was a little confused at first until... The crowd starts chanting the time to the match. And just like good wrestling fans, they give up after 30 or so. <laughs> But I, I think they only gave up at 30 or so because that's when Bull Dempsey appeared. Oh, Bull Dempsey. He looks terrible. He looks even more generic in his regular non-wrestling clothes. This is the entire match. You ready? Yes. They lock up. Corbin hits the snake eyes on Dillinger. Boot to the stomach. And the end of days. Gets a three in 41 seconds. Yeah, it was super quick. Before the three count, though, we go over to Bull Dempsey in the crowd who is not impressed. Yeah, I was I was a little confused at first because I was really digging the whole crowd chanting the time. I thought they started booing because it took longer than 30 seconds, but then it was found out that, you know, Bull Dempsey had come out and nobody cares. So boo this man. Does he not look like that fat kid from Pawn Stars? He does. Oh, what's that guy's name? Chumley. Chumley, yeah. Let me write in my notes here real quick. Bull Dempsey's name is now Chumley. Okay. I have another note that I felt bad because, like you said, there weren't a lot of signs in the crowd. But if you notice behind Bull Dempsey, there's a woman who has a Team Corbin sign. So, like, the one person she's there to see, and she can't even see him because this big fat dude's standing in front of her. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, like, you could tell she's trying to get a selfie when Corbin goes over to stare him down, and she's having to, like, lean super far over around the dude. Because she's trying to be polite and not stand up in front of the people behind her, but she really wants a shot of Corbin, you know, and she can't do it because there's a fat dude standing in front of her. Damn you, Chumley. Corbin and Chumley stare at each other for a little bit, and then Corbin finally leaves, stops at the ramp, and does some more staring. And again, he still just looks nervous to be out there, and he's really got to work on that if he's going to keep this whole I'm a badass character going. When they finally get done staring at each other, or whenever production gets bored of them staring, we cut to a Sami Zayn promo package with locker room shots. This was really cool. Sami looks nervous. Um, and you find out, this is when we find out, if he loses tonight, his career is over. Uh, they do a really good interview where he's talking about how he's never really been able to win that big one, so he had to take the safety net. He had to take the safety net out to see if he had what it takes, because if he can't win this belt, then he doesn't need to be here. I was making a note that I don't understand why Enzo and Cass are the ones giving him support in the back, when I noticed that across the locker room, Kevin Owens is actively ignoring Sami Zayn. <laughs> Dissension. Right? And Sami Zayn is actively ignoring Kevin Owens. And it's like, if you know wrestling, you know these two dudes are best friends. What's going on? What's up with this shot? Did you also notice that when they cut to the locker room that there are only faces in there? I did. I, I, I like that aspect. I still just don't understand. This to me, like Enzo and Cass being in there is like Hulk Hogan doing the announcement for Hideo Itami. It's just, there's better. Why are you choosing these people? No, don't worry. We'll get to that in a second. Oh, I know. That's why I brought it up. Following this, we cut into a tag match promo package, and Brother Brother Man is there for us. We do. We have the promo package for the Extension versus Hideo Itami and Finn Balor. It gives us the shots of why this match is happening, which for the most part we were there for on the last episode. Hideo Itami made his entrance. Ascension beat him up over the next couple of weeks and months. Hideo Itami keeps showing up. Ascension keeps beating him up until finally he says, hey, I brought a friend. This is my boy Finn Balor. So now it's two on two, and we're going to have a tag match at TakeOver. I think for most people that if you're not keeping up with the NXT shows that happen every Thursday and soon to be Wednesday for some reason, who knows why, 
it does a great job of introducing Finn Balor, previously known as Prince Devitt, which you'll get into in a minute, I'm sure. Yes, we have a lot of notes on him. But it does that job of filling the gap since the last NXT special. Yeah, I, I, I'm not dissing the promo package or anything. I, I think it did a really, exactly like you said, if you haven't been following, if you're just watching the specials, you now know who Finn Balor is and why he's here. Probably one of the best promo packages so far in NXT. Minus the whole brother-brother man thing. Yeah, I still don't understand that, but really well done. So the Ascension come out first, and the crowd still likes them. I love this entrance still. Hold on to that feeling. (laughs) Hideo comes out. Has there ever been a Japanese wrestler in WWE without chopstick music? Has there ever been a Japanese wrestler in WWE that didn't look so boring? I know, and it does him a great injustice because he's really good. He is really good, but he just looks boring. He did have the racist entrance music. I just, I have a lot of notes on Mr. Hideo for our match of I'm sad for him. So as he's coming out to the ring, Alex Riley must have got a note through the headset from the back that says, hey, dude, you're the heel commentator. I need you to do something. Yeah, Atami and Balor have been all over the world together, but I don't even think Atami speaks English, and, and neither does Balor. He's still in the Gaelic alphabet. I don't even think those two can understand oh, come on. each other in there. So he decides to be racist. Once Hideo Atami makes it into the ring, the lights kill, and Balor comes out as the demon. Holy shit. Yep, that's exactly what I have for the fan chance. It's a WrestleMania entrance shoved into a small venue. And it's awesome. My only complaint is, why are you burying Hideo like that? Exactly. The guy just walks out and is like, hey oh, and that's it. And then yeah. you have that entrance from The Finn demon out. crawling from hell. Yeah, I didn't get it. I, I love the entrance. I love the theme. I love the look. But holy shit, you got to do something with Hideo or you can't do this entrance. So we cut to the outside of the ring as Finn Balor's coming in, and we have a look of straight confusion on the face of the Ascension. Which made no sense to me. It, do- it does to me because you're seeing this guy come out as a demon, and the lighting on this was perfect, so the teeth on his neck made it look like an actual demon. Agreed, but is the Ascension not some occulty, dark, evil tag team? Wouldn't they be happy to see a demon? I don't think they've made it to that part of their gimmick just yet. But they got the weird symbols, and they're going to riot. I don't know. It just seemed weird to me. You might have could have chosen a better tag team for this. Not saying Ascension didn't do great in the ring, because they did. But to be scared of a demon, I maybe wouldn't go with your occult bad guys. All right, so who is this demon Finn Balor, Matt? Finn Balor, which, if I remember correctly, translates to Demon King, which is amazing. His name... (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I gotta... I thought you were about to say, which translates to potato. Potato. (laughs) His real name is Fergal Devitt, so he definitely upgraded in names. He started wrestling in the year 2000 at the age of 18. He quickly took off and began touring all over Ireland, the UK, and the US. In mid-2002, so two years into the business, he's 20 years old, he co-opens his own company, and you'll be happy to know this, it's NWA Ireland. Awesome. Yep. Guess who he trained at NWA Ireland? Go on. Becky Lynch. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's two years in, he's got a lot under his belt going already. Um, He basically kind of focused on that and a lot of touring until 2005, 
he wrestled at the NWA 57th anniversary show, and he and his opponent put on such a good match that they were both invited to train at the New Japan Dojo in California. He impressed the higher-ups at this dojo so much that the next year they invited him to come to Japan and train at the main dojo. He was That's also awesome. Yeah, he apparently he was doing great things to get invited. Um, he was part of the NWA tournament to crown a new champ when they had the whole separation from TNA with the whole, you know, Angle has all the belts and we don't like this anymore. Right. So he was part of the tournament for that. Um, in 2006, he actually started wrestling in New Japan after he made it over to the dojo. And I, I found this is funny. This is where he got the name Prince Devitt. And they gave him this name because Japanese people couldn't pronounce Fergal. <laughs> And he's a prince because he was too young to be a king. Oh, that's even better. Is it not great? He wrestled there from 2006 to 2008. He was in and out of the junior heavyweight championship scene, the tag team, junior heavyweight tag team scene. In 2009, he formed a tag team with, and I'm going to butcher this name and I apologize, Ryusuke Taguchi. Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) And they formed the team Apollo 55. These two would go on and, you know, they would be in the junior heavyweight scene, tag team and singles. I had to bring this tag team up for a reason because in April of 2013, Devitt would turn on Taguchi and in May, when they would have their little feud match over it, the fact that he betrayed him, the Bullet Club was formed with Prince Devitt as the leader and initial founder of the Bullet Club. So for the next year, the Bullet Club would run around just pretty much tearing shit up, doing whatever they wanted. And one year later, Taguchi and Balor would have a return match, a grudge match from the split. And in this match, the Young Bucks, who had just joined the Bullet Club, kept trying to get involved. And Balor was like, no, this is my deal. I'll handle it. I'll handle it. And Taguchi ended up winning. But since the Young Bugs felt disrespected because they weren't allowed to help Balor win, they turned on him and kicked him out of the Bullet Club. Then Balor shook Taguchi's hand, said, cool, I respect you. The next day, it was announced that he was going to WWE. What a great way to go out of a company. You get to work your final match, putting over, I'm assuming, your friend, tag team partner of five years. You put over the group that you you helped form and make big. Good way to go out. Put over everybody. Go out happy. Before the match kicks off, I do want to make a note here that Balor's face paint makes Tanref look a little bit pale. Just a little bit. Get on it, Tanref. Uh, I do have a note here, though, that Hideo, though he looks boring compared to, like, everybody else, the crowd is still totally into Hideo's character. Oh, absolutely, and thank God. Yeah. Before the bell kicks off, stereo boots to the corner. Schmoz. That's exactly what I have written here for a little bit. Hideo and Balor then run to opposite corners. For perfectly time drop kicks. Uh, the, the, that was awesome chance happens during the Shamas, but I think it was for the entrance. They were still happy about the demon entrance. Balor literally, I think at this point, could have walked out riding a pony, and the fans still would have been <laughs> going crazy. Like, he could have done anything, and the fans would have been happy. The fact that they got him in full demon makeup, the crowd's losing their mind. He can do anything at this point. The bell finally rings, and Hideo and Victor start off. Nice drop kick by Hideo to Victor, followed by a two count. Hideo tags in Balor, stalks Victor for a second, and puts in some chops. Yep. Oh, and we get a nasty indie slap right here at 40 minutes, 23 seconds timestamp by Victor in the corner. I'm okay with how y'all do the magic acts. Um, like you said earlier, do the mm-hmm. magic, just don't show me how it's done. Right. 
but this goes into what I was talking about earlier with production. It's gotten so much better, yet you can tell they're still kind of working some things out in the back. Because they're getting normally, there. Yeah, normally this wouldn't be caught on the main show. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, Balor running into the corner to catch a boot to the face from Victor and just clear as day right there, just slap across the thigh. Yeah. And like I said, I, I know that's how it's done, but don't show it to me blatantly. I, I agree. Both teams tag out and double team in the corner quickly. Hideo and Connor are in the ring, and Hideo kicks and slaps Connor. Hideo does get overzealous, though, trying to run the ropes, and Connor hits him with a flapjack. It was nice looking. A little bit of a rest here to kind of let everybody reset. Hideo reverses a scoop slam by flipping over and kicking Connor in the gut. This starts to build to a hot tag to Balor in the opposite corner and will go on for a little bit. So Connor has Hideo in the corner and starts giving him the boots. The yaw, the yaw stomps. Yeah, the yaw chance have finally made it back, and I still don't know where these come from. I don't either, but I love it that we both put down yaw stomps. But here is my favorite commentary of the night. Rich Brennan asks Corey Graves. So how do you beat these guys, Corey? How do you I don't know. I have no idea. I lost my tag team titles to him. <laughs> we also have a random fan trying to start a We Want Kenta chant, but the fans boo him down. Like, no, this is Hideo now, not Kenta. The fans take real quick to new names here, don't yeah. they? I, I give them props on that. The second half of the match slows down with the story being Hideo trying to get in just a little bit of offense and tag Balor in. Yeah. Yeah, there's a really good spot there where Hideo moves out of the way of Victor, who's trying to take him out, but then he dodges Connor as well. But then Connor takes Balor out, and the fans start booing for the right reasons because they're so into this story that's being told of Hideo needs to tag Balor. Is Balor used to being in a tag team? He had a stable. He had the Bullet Club. He had that tag team with Taguchi, the Apollo 55. It seems like he did do a lot of tag work. He did have a couple of junior heavyweight tag team championships in New Japan. He, he, he gets it. It's just during this match, he's not quite got there yet as a tag team partner. See, I thought he was doing good. He was doing good crowd work. He looks weird doing crowd work dressed as a demon. Maybe that's what it is. I think that's what it is. Because when he's in the ring and he's wrestling as a demon, he has these different body movements that he doesn't do without the paint. But when he's on the ring apron, I think he forgets that. And he's doing, like, cheering on the crowd and cheering on Hideo, Hideo as if it was just Finn Balor standing there and not a dude dressed as a demon. Victor has Hideo in the corner and runs towards him. But Hideo quickly moves and goes towards Balor, throwing Connor out on the way as Connor has had to try and stop him. Mm -hmm. As Connor gets up, he heads to Balor and trips him out of the corner, denying Hideo the tag. The fans start booing Ascension here, as they should, because they're booing for the right reasons. They're not booing like, oh, this sucks. They're booing the hills for doing hill work. Victor brings Hideo back to the opposite corner. Hideo finally gets in the hot tag to Balor, but only because Tan Ref keeps Connor from dragging Hideo away. Yeah, it was another good use of the ref. The bad guys are being bad guys. Don't let them keep being bad guys so the good guy gets the tag. When Balor gets tagged in, the crowd goes apeshit. Yeah. Irish Mania runs wild on Victor. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they've named this move yet, but he hits a sling blade, and it looks phenomenal. That's the uh, suicide forward roll to the outside on the Ascension right afterwards. <laughs> oh, that was also awesome. Balor gets Victor in the ring, but misses the cutie de gras, but hits yep. a nice brain buster suplex. See, they called it a brain buster suplex a couple times, but was it not just a reverse in Paler DDT? 
It was. I just like Brain Buster Suplex. Better. I like. I do like Brain Buster. Well, they called it a Brain Buster Suplex, and then they called it something else later. I forget. I forgot to take a note on that. But yeah, they kept calling it a Brain Buster, but it was just a reverse impact DDT, and it looks phenomenal. Connor runs in and breaks the three count. And Dale runs in and spears Connor for his troubles through the ropes to the outside. Looks good. Balor goes for something, but was hit with an STO by Victor. It was a weird-looking STO as well. So yeah, it looked like a weird STO, but then the highlight of the match happens. So then Hideo runs in and attempts a Samoan drop, and the crowd goes wild. And they they boo when he's unable to hit it. Do you know why? Because he's going for the go-to-sleep. Oh, that makes way more sense than the Samoan drop. He the created that move, correct? He did create the go-to-sleep, and it was popularized by C- Chicago's own. He's not allowed to use it, is he? What, Hideo is not allowed to use it? I don't know if he's allowed to use it. I don't know if he ever hit it. Uh, Later on, he does hit it, but in this match, no. He just teases the fact that he's going to go for the go-to-sleep, and the crowd are ready for it because they want to see it done actually good. But how weird is it that you can't do your move because somebody else is doing it? Ah, don't worry. He'll whine and cry and leave later on. (sighs) Go ahead. Victor and Connor get ready for the fall of man, but Hideo reaches in from the outside and pulls Connor out. Victor takes his chances on Balor, but is hit with a Pele kick. It was a good spot, but it did make me wonder one thing. What's that? If Hideo hadn't have pulled Connor out, wouldn't he have just blocked the fall of man anyways? Mm. Hideo puts Connor in the ring, and Balor and Hideo go for a stereo coup de gras. We get a double, double diving foot stomp. Balor gets the three on Victor at 11.38. Yeah, I, I, and this is where my notes get a little sad. Balor gets the pin, Hideo plays second fiddle, because they literally put a spotlight on Balor, while Hideo stands off to the side in the darkness. And Hideo was the workhorse for this match, and he didn't even get to hit his GTS. Yeah, he, he didn't get to do much. And honestly, this match was not really much anyways, but the crowd didn't care. They're just happy that these two dudes are here. But it seems like more so for Ballard than Hideo, which is sad. You're right, because I have here in my notes, who was this match supposed to help? I think it was supposed to help both of them, but it really only helped Ballard. Matt, I got some bad news for you. Okay. This will be the last time we see the Ascension in NXT. Can you cut my no and just put the no from Star Wars? They will debut the next night on SmackDown looking like Road Warrior Light. And they will immediately be booed out of the building. Don't worry, they will eventually get jobbed out during one of many DX reunions. John, these guys are still young guys. You can paint yourself green. That doesn't make you a frog any more than wearing shoulder pads and spikes and painting your face makes you a legendary tag team. You have the audacity to come out here in front of these legends that changed the business over and over and over i think they're still on the roster but i'm not 100 percent sure oh they are if you go to wwe.com you can see them on there oh fair enough it was an awesome end to their run in nxt and this is exactly how you should get called up from a territory up to a main roster somewhere I agree. I wish they. Ha- I still wish they hadn't lost to the Lucha Dragons the way they did in the last show, because this was the way to go out. I, I saw the story being built, and it made a lot of sense. My only downside to this is, is that I know what happens to you after you leave NXT. Yeah. I just, I just wish maybe when they lost to Lucha Dragons, because I'm okay. They needed to drop the belts to a tag team, but find a way for some chicanery or something so that they still look strong after that match. And then this match is even more impactful for the two who win. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Matt, we're in 2014, right? Yes. Time machine has happened. The announcers throw to an interview segment in the back with Roman Reigns, and I didn't think the booing had started yet. It had started. In fact, I think it started this year. Besides belly, belly, belly that, what else did Roman Reigns say? Well, we have Renee Young starting to interview him, and the crowd immediately deflates. There is a little bit of booing, but for the most part, the crowd just doesn't care. He thanks the universe for making him Superstar of the Year, showing that the Slammies were rigged. And he puts over Sammy and Adrian before putting himself over and saying he wants to be the first person from NXT to be a world champion. But I've got bad news for Mr. Roman Reigns. That's already happened. Daniel Bryan was on the first season of NXT when it was still a reality show, and he won the WWE title. So Roman Reigns, your dreams are dumb, and I hate you. But you're not really as bad as people make you out to be. We go to another backstage segment with Charlotte, and the crowd kind of pop up for this. And that is until the Nature Boy shows up, and the crowd loses their shit. It's really weird to see Ric Flair in a makeup area. After that, we go straight to a Charlotte and Sasha promo package building up this match. I, I really like this promo package. I know you said the last one was probably the best one, but I think this one was even better. We have Charlotte going over the fact that she's genetically superior. We have Sasha going into how she's the boss. And she even steals Charlotte's saying, which is, if you're going to do it, do it with flair, and changes it to, if you're going to do it, do it like a boss, which was awesome. Um, there was a great line by Sasha here where she says, Charlotte likes to think she's genetically champion, but she's just genetically basic. It was just a nice little promo package of talking shit, but I am a little confused by Charlotte's character. She's bragging about how she's genetically superior. She's bragging about how everybody's jealous of her, but she's not a heel? Yeah, I'm going to touch on that in the match in a little bit because I can't tell where we're going with Charlotte here. Yeah, I, it's it's happened on the past two shows, and they're keeping it running for the third one. I'm just not sure. I know how I feel about Charlotte, but I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about Charlotte. Because prior to this, the matches that we've seen Charlotte in, she's been the definitive heel. But well, still added in face stuff. Right, but now you're going up against a purely established heel, right? Yeah. So is this a heel heel or a heel tweener or what's going on here? I, I, I don't know. We cut to the ring, music hits, and Matt, fill us in on Snoop Dogg's cousin. I'm glad that you bring that up. She is Snoop Dogg's cousin and Brandy's cousin. You don't know who Brandy is, but she was a singer in the 90s. She started wrestling at the age of 18. That leads me to believe that this is something she really wants to do. And I, I'm happy that anytime the wrestlers start young because it's something they want to do. Uh, she started wrestling as Mercedes KV, KV being the initials of her two last names. So she started wrestling at Chaotic Wrestling. She did the indies. And then she went on to NWA Hollywood, where she shortened her name from Mercedes KV to just Miss Mercedes. And she wrestled there until 2012, where she received a tryout for WWE and was signed. She started doing the whole PC thing and just training until September of 2013, at which point she started going by Sasha Banks and started the boss character. She was teaming with Summer Rae as the BFFs. In November of 2013, Charlotte betrayed Bailey and joined the group. And they were a group until January of 2014 when Ray, Summer Rae was called up and Charlotte and Banks started feuding with Bailey. Then, as we know, Charlotte would go on to win the women's title. On July 3rd, the BFFs broke up because they had a tag match and Charlotte left the ring allowing Banks to be beat up by Bailey. 
So after the match, she did a promo and cut out the BFFs. She then lost the number one contendership to Bailey, which is why Bailey fought for the title at the last show. And in October, Becky would turn on Bailey and start teaming with Sasha, who would start feuding with Charlotte. That feud led into this match. We go into the ring, and it's Lil Nage. Before we get that far, I have a question for you again. Okay. Sasha's theme. Mm-hmm. It's a good theme. It's a bit faceish, though, don't you think? Do you think it's more of a heel tactic to use a face-style theme than it is to actually use a heel-style theme? This match is littered with I don't know what's going on. Even beyond the I don't know what's going on, just as a face, because we established earlier you're not a fan of CM. When he was a heel, he would still come out to cult of personality, even though fans hated him for doing it because they liked this song. And he was like, yo, I'm a bad guy. I should do things that make you mad. So is the fact that this is a heel using a face-sounding song that's talking about making your dreams come true, doesn't that make her a bit more of a heel? I get where you're going with that. It's just that, I I don't know. This, Like I said, the heel-face dynamics of this match are a little bit thrown off. But that throws me into a challenge that I posted on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So I've issued a wrestle challenge. And as some of you may or may not know out there for our fives of fans... I am mildly deaf. Uh, I have this uh, William Shatner disease that some people call tinnitus. It makes it very difficult for me to be able to hear stuff. And seeing as how I'm the one that does the audio editing for a podcast, it makes it really interesting to see how some of this stuff's going to turn out. Makes it fun for me. My wrestle challenge basically is, is go find a match, watch it, but without the audio. And tell us in the comments on our Twitter or Facebook that Matt hasn't set up yet, and some other things. Tell us what you think. Can you figure out who the face and the heel are? Can you tell us how the story was supposed to play out? If you can visually see it with no commentary or sound on, and they tell the story in the ring between the two performers, they've done their job. I'll give you a cheat sheet. Okay. Find Brad Armstrong versus Mike Rotunda for the television title. That's all I'm giving you. (laughs) But there are a couple of matches that here in the near future that Matt and I will go over that where this wrestle challenge could be accepted and taken and completed successfully on matches. So we have Sasha Banks entering the ring, and the shock of the match for me happens right away. She takes off the sunglasses that she has up on her forehead. Yeah. It's a five head. <sighs> yeah. She has these weird braids that pull her hair really hard back in the middle, and it I just, what the hell, man? What are you doing to yourself? You look scary. It's very distracting. (laughs) The sunglasses come off. (laughs) Yeah. It was like a mask and then Predator. Ah, I was just so confused. And then Charlotte comes out without Rick. I know. He teased you again. Both of them are in the ring, and they're wearing the exact same shirt with Sasha changing something on the back. Yeah, it's the, if you're going to do it, do it with flair. But her says, if you're going to do it, do it like a boss. It's great. Though I did find it amusing that the whole shtick is Sasha Banks is blaming Charlotte for getting everything she wants because of other people. Like, you got in because your dad. You became good because I trained you. Everything you did is because of someone else. I'm still in your slogan. Great heel work. The bell rings and Sasha throws her shirt onto Charlotte. Ouch. (laughs) I like how the ref tried to stop her at first, but she was just like, it's just a shirt. And then she threw it at her. Charlotte does a standing jump into the Thez press, grabs Sasha by the hair, and throws her into the corner afterwards. Yeah, it was so good. And with a little offense, Sasha puts Charlotte in the exact same spot. Alex is saying that Charlotte reminds him of A.J. Lee, but I promise you he won't be making that comparison too much longer. 
I think he said that Sasha reminded him of AJ Lee. Because she was crafty and willing to do whatever it takes to win. Well, I just know that somebody's disappearing from the company soon, and it ain't Sasha or Charlotte. No. Sasha taunts Charlotte with a chop, but Charlotte has none of it and does the same with, I think, a better chop. I think they were both decent. Charlotte goes to block one, but Charlotte stops and kicks Sasha in the stomach. It was really good. I have a note on that. Banks covers up her face and chest so that Charlotte can't chop her. So Charlotte just kicks her in the stomach. Bit of brawling on the outside. And then Sasha throws Charlotte into the stairs. Really good spot. And they go back inside and go for some punchy-kicky stuff. Sasha sets up Charlotte in the corner on the second rope in the corner and follows with a jumping stomp right in the midsection. Yeah, it was the knees to the mix session. I usually hate this move because I'm like, why would you just lay there and let somebody jump on you? But Sasha did it so quick that it actually made sense. And she kind of hit her as she was climbing up and everything. It looked actually really good in this situation. And at this time, I noticed the crowd is hot for this match. And it's about 60-40 Sasha, but everybody's chanting for one of these wrestlers. Like, everybody's on their feet. Everybody's way into this match. Sasha snapmares Charlotte in the middle of the ring and looks to go for a running dropkick off the ropes, but instead taunts with a better flare strut than what Natty did. <laughs> it was a good, it was a good strut. She tries to slap Charlotte, but Sasha's taken so long that Charlotte just rolls her up for a two count. The one thing I didn't understand about this is why did she lick her hand before the chop? I don't know. Was that just to try to make more sound? <laughs> it was weird. Kind of a botched hurricanrana. Didn't look like they had enough momentum going into it, but they both expertly recover, and it goes straight into a bankrupt spot. So it's like if you didn't know wrestling too well, yeah. you wouldn't think that this was a messed up spot. Yeah, I did. It, I had that note. I thought it was kind of messed up at first, but I'm not 100% sure because of the way they then went into the bankrupt, which is just a backstabber with a different name at this point. But it looked good. It just was a little weird getting into it. I think at this point that it might be because of Charlotte's height that Banks, they had to kind of put that little stumble in there for Banks to actually be able to pull it off. Yes, Charlotte is a lot taller than Sasha, and that is noticeable. But don't worry, later in tonight, we will see a bigger difference. Yeah, but there's a really nice moment on this bankrupt that shows off just how flexible Charlotte is too. So she's six foot tall, but she gets down to about six inches off the ground as Sasha's just yanking her neck down, using her own arms to do it. It's it's amazing looking. More taunting from Sasha as she puts on the figure four headlock on Charlotte. I have another note here. Who is the face? Isn't Charlotte heel? Charlotte because, is heel. Because now, by having Sasha put on the figure four headlock onto Charlotte, that kind of does a turn on Charlotte in a way. But it's the heel stilling the face's move. And they kind of go over that a little bit on the see, announce team, actually, at this point. But see, you just mentioned that she's stealing from a face. Charlotte's not face. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, but Sasha's definitely not face. I don't know. I'm, I'm with you. But the announcers, like I said, the announcers sell it as she's stealing from the other person to rub it in. So it does make Sasha look more heelish. Another really good note here from Graves, right before the figure four headlock spot, Charlotte went to run out of the corner away from Sasha, and Sasha grabbed her hair and slammed her down. And one of the announcers was like, she's cheating. And Graves is like, it's fine that she's fighting dirty, because Charlotte's the daughter of Ric Flair. She should have known better. Charlotte finally counters by basically just standing up and putting Sasha in an electric chair spot. So good. I just have, she's a beast. 
They're both laying down on the mat, and Little Nature makes it to eight on the count before Sasha gets up first. Charlotte goes for a suplex. Sasha reverses it and looks to go for a reverse stunner, but Charlotte double reverses and hits it. Yeah, there's a really good chain wrestling going on. We go back outside as Sasha flies through the ropes onto Charlotte. Sasha dived between the, the top rope and the second rope, and it looked like Charlotte barely caught her. It looked like Sasha just smacked her face right on the apron. But she's up immediately, so at least no injury, and it didn't look like she busted anything up. But it was a nasty-looking spot. And we start getting NXT chance, and I hate this. I understand 100% where you're coming from, and I actually made a note because I knew you were going to make a note. I'm okay with it because I think in this instance, they're saying... NXT because that's the only place you're getting women's wrestling of this caliber at this time. I just would prefer that you actually chant something related to the wrestlers in the ring and not the actual overall promotion itself. As an argument for this, I would suggest that people go back and listen to ECW for a little bit. Yeah, but I, I agree, and I think they've done a good job at, during this match up to this point of cheering both of them on to where taking just a moment to do an NXT chant, like I said, because I feel like, again, this is me this is the only time you're getting this caliber of women's wrestling in 2014. I agree. And I don't want to be splitting hairs on this because it's the only time tonight that it happens. And it's actually the right. first time that it's happened in our review. Yeah. And I don't think it happens again for a little bit. So I'm, I'll am i let it slide this time. Yeah. We go back into the ring and we're trading Yaboo spots <laughs> where they're elbowing each other back and forth. Some stiff elbows. That goes on until Charlotte hits a spear on Sasha, where Sasha does a full backflip for it. It looked great, but why would you do a backflip out of a spear? It didn't really make sense to me. Masterful selling. Yeah, it's like, if you're getting hit in the middle, you're not going to flip either way, but it did still look really good. So they're in the corner, right? Yeah. Sasha goes for a bank statement, but Charlotte just kind of flicked her off and was like, no. No. <laughs> I have a note here that says, uh, bankrupt bank statement. Where in the hell is the million dollar man to manage Sasha? Right? Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's <laughs> phenomenal. Why wasn't she in the revitalized team of Money, Inc.? She should start a new one. Let's do it. Let's make this happen. And we can team her up with Carmella because Mella is money. Nothing. <laughs> After Charlotte flicked... I'll see myself out. <laughs> After Charlotte flicked off Sasha, Charlotte goes for figure eight, but Charlotte masterfully rolls up Charlotte up in a schoolgirl and only gets a two. Yeah, and at this time we have this is awesome chance starting and this is wrestling chance. Like I said, the crowd is into this match and they're giving these women, like at this point in time, this is wrestling chant for a women's match. There really is no higher praise you can, do, you can give them at this point. People are so tired of the, the whole divas and all of this stuff. So the, the fact that they're actually, like I said, the crowd's just really trying to put it over. I don't know how to put it in words, how important this this match is, but it's just, it's phenomenal. Sasha tries a few times to pin Charlotte, but only gets twos. And we get some Randy Orton frustrating uh, selling going on. See, I, I, I thought it was Christian level. Charlotte hits a fisherman suplex variant. It looked really good. Really good. Follows up with the moonsault, but Sasha rolls to avoid it. Charlotte lands on her feet and does a standing forward flip on top of Sasha. Now, all of this happened in less than a second. <laughs> and I want to give 100%, first off, 100% credit to Charlotte. This sequence is phenomenal. But then one of the announcer goes, I've never seen a woman do that. And Graves immediately cuts in with, I've never seen anybody do that. Kudos to Graves for putting these women over. It only gets a two count as Sasha got her foot on the rope. 
it looked like Charlotte was going for a razor's edge. Yeah, I got a crucifix bomb is what I called it. But Sasha drops out of it and shoves Charlotte into the corner. With her feet. Sasha's in the corner as Charlotte comes up from behind. Sasha jumps up to get her feet on Charlotte and pulls her into the turnbuckle. Yeah, it was great. And at this point, the crowd, again, great crowd. We get like a boss chance. She sets Charlotte up on top to go for a superplex, but Charlotte slapjacks her. I, I, that's what I'm calling it. I just called it a reverse superplex. Slapjack makes more sense. Sasha slowly gets up and is close enough to the corner for Charlotte to hit the natural selection from the top turnbuckle. And boy, did she look huge. <laughs> such a good spot. I don't think I've ever seen it done before or since. It's such a good move to pull off the top rope once. Great, great, great move. It gets the three in 12 minutes and 12 seconds. It didn't feel like 12 minutes. It was literally, I was, I almost had to stop taking notes, watch the match, and then watch the match again so I could take more notes because I didn't want to miss anything. I got three things coming out of this match. Mm -hmm. Up until the last three minutes, it almost felt like that the match was kind of stuck in first and second gear. Mm -hmm. Once they got into that final sequence and get, got ready to go home, they really kicked it up and it took this match to an entirely different level. See, I, I liked everything about this match. I can see why you would say it was slow at the beginning, but their slow at the beginning is better than anything we've seen on this card so far. They 100% once again just put the main event on notice and props to Corey Graves. He again puts both women over. Charlotte's a star and one of the other ones, yeah, and Sa don't forget about Sasha. She just made herself a star. No, Sasha was already a star. That's why she was able to do this. Kudos to the women. Kudos to Graves. Phenomenal match. It's good to see women wrestle and not sound like tennis players. Yeah, everything about this was great. My third note is, is I'm still a little confused on Charlotte. Is she a face or heel? I don't know, but at least she didn't try to hug somebody and cry at the end of this match. After that, we go straight into a title match promo package. Such a good, another great package. Uh, Sami Zayn and Neville. It's talking about how Sami Zayn can't win the big one. They go over the last couple takeovers, him losing to Cesaro, him losing to Breeze. They go over some NXT stuff he's done where he's unable to beat Bo Dallas. He's been unable to beat Neville in the past because of Neville faked a knee injury and allowed and Sammy, being the nice guy that he was, went to check on him, so it allowed him to roll him up. It's just a lot of, he can't win the big one. And then you have this, Adrian's willing to do whatever it takes to win, but Sammy is too good for his own good. And then it ends with Sammy Zayn calling for the retirement match. Like, if I don't win, I'm out of here because I don't deserve to be here. And then when Neville tries to go, nah, man, I, I don't want that on me you're not going to retire if I beat you. Sami Zayn slaps him in the face and says, I'm doing what I got to do. I'm no longer being this new, I'm no longer being this nice guy. I'm going to do what it takes to beat you. And I'm, I'm better than you. Great package. We cut backstage and Sami Zayn is making his way to the ring. And I mean, this has a really big match feel to it, but it's kind of thrown off by Sami Zayn's entrance music. And take a look, there is Sami Zayn. Moments away from the biggest match of his career, guys. I can assure you this is the longest walk Sami Zayn has ever made to the ring. I can assure you as well, he's nervous as a cat right now. Well, I have a weird intro from, uh, and also a weird note from, I think it was Alex Riley. It says, look at Sami Zayn. He's nervous as a cat right now. What does that mean? Sami intensely skates skanks down to the ring like he's dancing with Fuhrer this time slaps the ring post jumps in the corner scares Jojo 
He's selling it really good that this is an intense new Zane, but you're right. It's really weird that he's doing it to such happy music. There's a sign in the crowd for this one. It says, I asked Santa for a Sami Zayn win. Nice. The crowd is still on this ole, ole, ole chant, and they're trying to sync it up with the music. Yeah. They're trying. <laughs> they're doing better. I actually noticed a couple people in the crowd holding up their hands in an O form to, you know, go along with the OOOs instead of doing the ole, ole, ole. So they're getting there. We go to Neville backstage, and the crowd immediately boos on this. Boo this man! They did. I think, is this a new theme song for Neville? No, it's the same no, one. Same one? Well, maybe he just, he had a little extra charisma on this one. It was a better entrance for him. As Neville is coming out when his music hits, and he's like halfway to the ring, oh wait, the Olay chants are back. <laughs> oh, they never go away. Neville is short. He is short. I'm not trying to take away from his athleticism, but it's very highlighted in this match, his vertical problem. Challenges? Yeah. I don't disagree. There's also a really nice little moment here when Neville enters the ring, Sammy shyly waves at him, and then gives him two thumbs up. It's just this weird little, this is supposed to be possibly your retirement match. Why are you being goofy? But it, it still works. So the bell hits, and we're off. And even though they spend a minute doing nothing, it plays directly into the crowds. Well, even before that starts, they both look super happy to be into this match. You could tell both of them are excited about this. But then the ref holds up the belt, and it makes the ref look like he's a 12-year-old with a plastic belt. I have this note here about the ref. This guy looks like he didn't even finish high school. Yeah, I don't know what's up, why they chose him, but it was weird. The crowd is 100% behind Sammy, and for about the first minute to two minutes, they're letting everybody know that. And I love the fact that both wrestlers just sat there and, and absorbed this. It's such a big match, and both of them were just living in that moment of this crowd is feeding the wrestlers at this point. And it was just, it was a really nice moment. Do you think that they changed the ref out at the last minute because maybe this was supposed to be Tan Ref, and as he was heading through Gorilla, they're like, oh no, man, you make these guys look way too pale. I just, I don't know if Tan Ref is, is as entrenched yet as he should be, but I, I don't know why 12 year old ref is a thing. For the first five minutes of this match, the two are filling it out, yeah. building to the crowd. And for the people at home, if you're watching this match, you are entrenched in what's going on here. You're engrossed in wanting to see these two just actually go at it. And they're building the suspense very well here. Yeah, my only real note in this first five minutes is chain wrestling, silky. Everything's smooth. Everything's awesome. But it did make me, I did pause for one moment to ask another question here. I have another discussion question for you. Okay. Has a retirement match ever actually mattered in wrestling? Has anyone ever stayed retired? Uh, I'm trying to think. Like, Flair Nik kind of. Nikita Koloff? Did he? He lost the retirement match? Yes, but there's a lot of backstage stuff going on, but for the purposes of kayfabe, yes, he, he okay. did stay retired. See, I was going to say Flair and Foley, but they wrestled in TNA, but nobody saw that because it was TNA, so technically it still counts. Otherwise, I can't really think of a retirement match that's ever really mattered. But I didn't know the Koloff part. So, there we go. Nikita, good job. I do want to say here that the announcers are doing a damn good job of adding to the story. So good. Uh, the ref is walking around a little bit, and he's got this stupid, confused look on his face. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know why he's there, honestly. No, nobody does. Out of a lockup, and Neville does some gymnastics. That's all I have written for this. Yeah, 
I have flips away. Neville does go for a Hurricanrana, but Sammy turns it into a swinging backbreaker. Yeah. Neville immediately rolls out of the ring. Yeah, then he gets hit with an ass-launched moonsault. <laughs> I didn't know how, what else to call that move. He jumped onto his ass and moonsaulted. Sammy runs back in to gloat after he does the ass-launched moonsault. Uh-huh. Neville flirts with doing a countout, but comes back in at nine. Yeah, I had a note on this because Graves kept pointing it out, and I 100% agreed with him. Sammy, if you don't win this belt, you retire. Why are you letting Neville just stay out there? You need to go get him. Like, I I assume it's a whole Sammy doesn't want to get baited in again kind of tactic, but it didn't play out that way very well, I thought. Sammy should be intense throughout this. The way I take my notes here, because Mm -hmm. of the pace of these matches being so quick, is that I abbreviate whoever's in the match. So Sammy is an S, Neville is an N. And my next line is, Sammy hits a, but because of the abbreviation I have, shits a perfectly placed kick to Neville's face. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) And I'm looking at it going, that actually matches up. It it does. (laughs) Bit it back and forth, and Neville hits a drop kick to the back of Sammy's head. Yeah, he did. Rear chin lock for a minute that Sammy breaks out of, but Neville answers with a European uppercut. Or in Neville's case, an uppercut. Just an uppercut. They go back to a rest spot, but for this match, it's perfectly fine because both of them are calculating each other's moves and responses and letting the fans soak this up. Yeah, they're telling a great story. It's not an issue. Neville hits a drop kick from the top turnbuckle. Sammy is doing a great job of selling his underdog positioning in this match. Yeah, he is. After a slap from Sammy, Neville grabs Sammy's head and goes for a few quick knee strikes to the face. Yeah, just brutal. Sammy hits a great clothesline to Neville as Neville was coming off of the ropes. He also hits a so-so dropkick on Neville. Yeah, but I do have a note that at this time, the crowd starts chanting Pokeball at Neville because his trunks look like a Pokeball. (laughs) Nice little chant. I also have a note that Neville gets frustrated with the ref during this sequence, and it doesn't really make sense. You didn't pin him, but he's supposed to be your friend. You don't want him to retire. I don't know. It just seemed weird that he would get frustrated with the ref instead of just trying to focus on taking Sammy out. It just didn't make sense to me. Neville rolls outside again, and Sammy goes for a dive. But as he's starting to run the ropes, Neville runs in and catches Sammy with a head-scissors takedown. Yeah, I called it the running Kanrana. It looks beautiful. Now Sammy rolls outside to regroup. Neville goes to fly out, but Sammy runs in to catch Neville with a dump over the top to the outside. Mm -hmm. Sammy successfully flies out and hits Neville. Puts Neville back inside the ring, goes up top, and hits a flying crossbody for a two. Sammy takes too long on a suplex, and Neville flips over. A few reversals, and Sammy goes to get Neville off the ropes. Neville body flips and lands on Sammy in the electric chair position. Yeah, he did this cartwheel flip attempt. I think they tried this move in the last match, the four-way, and Sammy kind of dropped him on his head, but they did it perfectly in this match. Sammy pushes him up and spins him to a sit-out powerbomb for a two. Yeah, that's the blue thunderbomb. They cut to the crowd, and there's a group of people in those Wrestling Central shirts that you mentioned earlier. Yeah, I I have that note again because they focused on him this time, and I don't get it. Neville hits a running uppercut in the corner. This is when the Sammy Zane, the actual Sammy Zane chants start. Neville runs to the opposite corner to do something, but Sammy runs after him. Neville sees him and throws a boot up to counter. Neville throws Sammy into the ropes to set up a nice German suplex. I'm going to quote Jim Carrey in this. B-E-A, beautiful German suplex. You don't remember that? No, I remember. Philistine. Neville goes for a powerbomb, but Sammy drops to his knees. Neville tries again, but Sammy dips out and slaps Neville's chest. 
Still holding on to Neville's hand, Sammy runs up top and jumps over Neville. Neville ducks and kicks Sammy in the gut. This time, Neville is able to hit the sit-out powerbomb, but it only gets a two. Was this the, yeah, this is the sit-down powerbomb where he landed on his neck. Like the announcers pointed it out and they showed it in slow motion replay. It looks nasty. Like he lands right on his neck and shoulder area. It just brutal. Neville throws some blows into Sammy and starts showing signs of his frustration. Sammy responds by bending down a couple of feet to go head-to-head with Neville to ask for more. Cause he, Dude, he looked like he had to bend over like nearly to the ground to go head-to-head with him. Oh, uh, I get it. Sorry, I was trying to put myself in Neville's position, and that just flew over my head. Because <laughs> you're short! <laughs> Tag team jokes. Both are trading elbows until Neville hits some kicks. Neville runs the ropes to hit Sammy, but Sammy leg sweeps him and nails him with a lariat. Sammy runs the ring as Neville got up in the corner, mm-hmm. but Neville ducks out, and Sammy hits the turnbuckles, followed by a body kick from Neville. Neville goes up to try the red arrow, but Sammy gets him with his knees. I, I love that the crowd was so into this. He put him in position for the red arrow and starts to go up top, and the crowd's just chanting, No, no, no. They're so into Sammy and wanting Sammy to win this match. It, it's just awesome. As Sammy blocked the red arrow, he goes straight to the Koji clutch on Neville. Silky. Silky smooth. Neville finds a way to get his foot on the ropes for the break. The whole time he's in the Koji clutch, again, the crowd is so into this, that the whole time he's in the Koji, cl- the Koji clutch, the crowd is just chanting, tap, 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 tap. They want Sammy to win. Sammy picks up Neville for something, but Neville rolls it through to a roll-up for a two-count. As Sammy kicks out, Neville is thrown onto the ref, who will, at this point, start selling like death for the rest of the match. In his defense, they really did hit head-to-head. So Sammy goes to check on the ref. They start selling this whole Sammy's too good for his own his own sake. So instead of attacking Neville, who's down, he goes to check on the ref and then turns around and Neville hits him with this reverse Frankensteiner move that looked beautiful and goes for a pin. You'll notice that the ref, who's supposed to be selling like death, magically comes back alive like Lazarus. Right up. Oh, yeah. He's straight over there for a count. It'll go for a two count and then straight back to death again. Straight back. Both finally get back up to slowly trade blows in the middle of the ring again. Neville misses a spinning kick and is hooked by Sammy for some rolling German suplexes. Two Germans into probably the second best dragon suplex I think I've ever seen. He, he just transitioned to it really well. Yeah, I thought he was going to go for the three Germans. I had already made a note to look up how to say three uh, friends in German because, you know, Eddie used to do the three amigos with the, the other suplexes. So I was going to learn how to say friends in German so that I could call it that. But then he only did two and then hit the... Hold on one second. (laughs) (laughs) Not to give up where I'm at. (laughs) Hi. I say friend. I'm told it's friend. Just friend? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Three friends. Sammy sets up Neville in the corner and runs across to hit a kick on Neville. But Neville dumps back outside again. He did it himself on this one, right? Sammy answers this rollout by going out himself on the opposite side of the ring and hits that flying outside DDT through the corner ropes. It was so beautiful. And it was moved up a bigger notch by Corey Graves on announcing here. He's telling him that's all well and good, but get him in the ring, stay on him, stay on him. He is so into this match that it takes this beautiful move and just it makes it the, what's going on a full 10. Sammy grabs Neville and rolls him inside. Neville and the ref are in the corner as Sammy comes in with a haluva kick. One downside of the match. 
and nails both Neville and the ref. Now, I'm I'm confused here because the commentary is saying that Neville pulled the ref in front of him, mm-hmm. but you can clearly see on the replay that this did not happen. No, I think it was Riley covered this one up a little well. He says that he took an elbow to the head instead of the haluva kick. He kind of did touch the ref with his elbow, but Neville went to pull the ref, and the ref was like, no. Uh, Neville dumps outside, and the fans just start going straight to, this ref sucks chance. And he does. Should have had 10, ref. Should have. You know who you really should have had in this match? Old ref. Old ref? He would have taken that bump like a boss. And he ain't putting up with none of that shit. Nope. I'm guessing the ref is hiding his face to keep from laughing at this point. I think he's hiding in shame. (laughs) Either from laughing or shame. Nibble grabs the belt outside to come in to Pearl Harbor, Sammy. Mm-hmm. But Sammy turns and sees Neville with it and catches him with a kick. The crowd is telling Sammy not to pick up the belt. They are all about Sammy Zayn being a pure babyface. We want you to win, and we want you to keep it a- as is. Sammy does pick it up anyway, showing that faces are usually dumb. And the crowd want him to win as a clean babyface. And they're telling him, no, put the belt down. I mean, the fans are in this one. They're 100% in it. Sammy does some soul-searching, and as he goes to put the belt outside, Neville sneaks for a roll-up. And this is another spot where the ref goes from dead to count a pin as fast as, like, a nanosecond. Another great moment from Graves at this point, because Graves was like, hit him. Hit him with it. Do it. Don't have a conscience. And as soon as Neville rolls up Sammy Zayn, Graves just yells out, you get what you deserve, Sammy. And we get a little bit of retribution here. As Sammy kicks out of the move, or out of the roll-up, if you watch, he actually kicks the ref in the face at this point. Good. A little bit of karma. Neville gets up, but is met with an exploder suplex in the corner, with Sammy running in for a haluva kick. Huge Neville... haluva kick. The crowd goes nuts. Neville falls in the middle of the ring, and Sammy pins him for the very sparkly clean three at 23-18. Exactly how it should have ended. The crowd loses it as Sammy celebrates. This match was probably, if I had to give it stars, a four-star match. But with the crowd, with the announcers, with the story that's the build-up and the story told in the ring, five on five every day of the week. You can tell that Kevin Dunn's a little bit more involved in the production now. Mm -hmm. Because as the crowd is doing the Olay chants, Mm -hmm. the music is slowly creeping up to kind of overshadow the chants. Mm -hmm. They finally turn the music down a little when the chants turn to Sammy. But they immediately shoot right back up when they go back into the Olay chants again. There's also a really nice moment here. Before Sammy picks up the belt, he looks at the ref and goes, Is this mine? Do I get it? Do I get it? He's such a good babyface. The locker room clears out with all the babyfaces coming down to celebrate. Kevin Owens is right in the middle of all this with Sammy, and they are playing up the friendship right here. But did you notice something? Pat Patterson payday! Even more so than the Pat Patterson payday. What's that? There was a sneaky hill in that group. Who was it? Tyler Breeze. Was he getting selfies in there? No, he was just standing in the back, and all I could think of is, shit, Tyler Breeze is about to kick his ass, because they've been feuding forever. Why are you out here, Tyler Breeze? Kick him. Do it. Glitter from the roof as the locker room lifts him up in the ring. Glitter. And the funny part is, is, you know, technically you don't know he's going to win this match. Why did you load glitter? Was Neville going to get glitter if he won? (laughs) With the CO2. (laughs) (laughs) Make him a sparkly troll after the match. 
Right. The music dies, and everyone focuses on Neville, who has been playing dead the entire time so far. Mm-hmm. But he gets up and goes and stares down Sammy, and Sammy goes to shake Neville's hand. But Neville right. kicks There was actually, keeping with the story here, before Sammy goes to shake his hand, he took the belt and put it behind him. So you have this whole metaphor, and I might be overthinking this, but you have this whole metaphor of Sammy saying, I'm not letting the belt come between us anymore, because he actually made it a point to put it behind him and then went forward for the shake. Neville kicks away the hand of Sammy Zane and raises his hand and hugs him and promptly leaves. As he should. Enjoy this moment, Sammy. Cherish it. Remember it. Especially when you're on the main roster. Yeah. Then the locker room picks up Sammy again on the shoulders. Breeze, why aren't you attacking? Attack, Breeze. Do it. Maybe he was there as a decoy just for you. I, maybe. I hope it was he's so self-absorbed. He was in the back on his phone. And he just saw a bunch of people walking out to the ring, and he's like, oh, shit, we're supposed to be out there. And just kind of followed him and didn't actually know what he was going to, and then just had to kind of go with it. As we close the show with this feel-good moment, Kevin Owens is still out there to walk Sami Zayn to the back. We have the credits roll. Like, they pop up the NXT. The announcers sign off. Bye. Thanks for coming. We're out of here. And then Kevin Owens grabs Sami Zayn and powerbombs him into the ring apron. Holy shit, did it look brutal. The crowd is betrayed. Lord Regal tries to come out to confront Kevin Owens. Instead, he goes down to Sami Zayn, and we're out. And it's, once again, it's a completely fluke that it's happening. But Owens is sitting there staring him down, and there's blood dripping from these stitches on his nose. It looks phenomenal. And I love that the announcers aren't calling any of this. It's like it's not supposed to be happening. It just, the whole, it gives you goosebumps. The whole feel of it just was so good. Regal played his part well. Everything was done perfect. This match was paced out so well that the rest spots worked to garner the proper heat for this match. Yeah. Minus a couple of minor blemishes. I mean minor, and most of them were from the ref. Yeah, the ref, I wish they had a better ref, but everything else, like you said, the rest spots, I think, were there to give the crowd a break for a second because the crowd was so into it that you had to make them shut up for five seconds, but they still didn't. They allowed Sammy to have his moment and make the fans happy and didn't spend but 30 seconds building the next feud. It was great. This is by far 100% the best main event we've had yet. As good as Charlotte and Sasha was, they finally got outdone by the main event. I have that exact note here because this time, the main event looked like that it was just a match that was laid out. Go out there, take all the time you need. Yeah. Because they had plenty of time after the match. I want to say it was like 15, 16 minutes. It didn't quite go a full two hours, so there was still some more time, but they they did exactly what they needed in the time they needed. And looking back on it, it made the women's match look like it was, hey, you have this amount of time, fill it up. Yeah. Overall, it was a great show. Definitely a better first hour than the previous takeover we did. There was nothing bad on this show for me. The tag match, the Lucha Dragons and the VOD villains were probably the low point, but it was still a good match. It was serviceable. It did what it was supposed to do. Corbin was over in, what, 30 seconds, so I can't really say it's bad because, again, it did what it was supposed to do. It set up his next feud with Bull Dempsey, I'm assuming, but everything on this show had a purpose and did what it was supposed to do. And it looks like it set up the next takeover really well. Yeah. It definitely sets up the next takeover, which will be an NXT takeover rival. Much but, better than our revolution. Uh, uh, yeah. That leads us to the end of the show, and after watching such a great show, I have to ask you, is there anything on this show that you recommend the fans go out and watch? Definitely the main event to this match. The main event? 
you can mute the sound on this match and watch just what's on the screen and follow every little nuance that this match is trying to portray through psychology. Fair enough. I would, I would also say definitely seek out this main event. If you can, even watch the hype packages that go with it. It builds up a great story. They tell a great... It, it's just everything about it's phenomenal. I would also say Charlotte and Sasha's worth checking out. And possibly from a historic standpoint, check out the Finn Balor match. Just because the crowd was so into him and to see this entrance for the first time, it, it's kind of worth watching just for the entrance alone. And with that out of the way, the highlight of the show, the only reason people even listen, they fast forward to the end just for this spot, Hill of the Night. And tonight, I nobody deserves it more than Kevin Owens. He won his match. He hugged his best friend, and then he betrayed him. The highlight of Sammy's career, and Kevin Owens took it away from him. Waldo? Might have to go with uh, Ric Flair on this one for not setting up a definitive face or heel in the women's match. See, with Rick's presence, we could have known for sure that Charlotte was either face or heel, depending on how Rick felt at the time. And it just had that confusion throughout the match because he just wanted to show up in the dressing room where the makeup was being done, grab the makeup lady, and have on to a very good night. That is very hillish of him. What about us? What about us? What about Raven? I mean, uh, what about us? You were right, sir. So with that, as ever, I am Matt. And I'm Waldo. And joined by Dr. Brian. Appreciate it, Doctor. Doctor. Don't forget to like and subscribe and follow us on YouTube, Facebook, The Twatter, at Face for Wrestling. We finally got approved for iTunes. You can now download us on the Apple iPod podcast thingy. Yeah. So they can so they can take us with them. That's right. You can take us with you wherever you go. Be embarrassed with us. Is that kidnapping? Digital kidnapping. Is this in my is this in my contract? And we're also on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. So wait, if I do a little rap, will I become a SoundCloud rapper?